welcome to Arbitral Insights, a podcast series brought to you by our international arbitration practice lawyers here at Reed Smith. I'm Jose Estigarraga, Global Head of Reed Smith's International Arbitration Practice. As we close out 2021 and look towards 2022, we are pleased to present this mini-series of podcasts that will review key developments over the past year across a number of important geographic regions, industries, and specialisms. And we'll look ahead to consider what the next 12 months might bring. I hope you enjoy the industry commentary, insights, and anecdotes we share with you in the course of this series, wherever in the world you are. If you have any questions about any of the topics discussed, please do contact our speakers. And with that, let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the latest episode of Arbitral Insights. In this short podcast, members of the Reed Smith's International Arbitration Team will look back at some of the key developments in Asia during 2021 and look ahead to 2022. My name is Timothy Cook, and I'm an International Arbitration Partner in the Singapore office of Reed Smith. And with me today is Lian the Head of the Transportation and Commercial Litigation Practice in our Hong Kong office. So in 2021, we saw some important developments, particularly in case law for international arbitration, and we will look at um, three examples of those, starting with some recent developments with the arrangement for mutual assistance in court-ordered interim measures in aid of arbitration proceedings between China and Hong Kong. And then we'll look at two recent arbitration decisions by the Indian Supreme Court. And after that, we'll turn our gaze to 2022. So let's start with the interim measures arrangement between China and Hong Kong. The arrangement was introduced in 2019 and by all accounts has proven to be an extremely useful tool for parties engaged in proceedings looking to enforce interim orders. Could you explain how this arrangement works? Hi, uh, team. It is my great pleasure to to have this uh, podcast with you. And uh, on 2nd April 2019, as you said, Hong Kong Special Administrative Region and the Supreme People's Court of PRC signed an arrangement concerning mutual assistance in court-ordered interim measures in support of arbitration proceedings by the courts of mainland China and Hong Kong. And this came into effect on 1st October 2019. Hong Kong became the first jurisdiction outside mainland China. The parties would be able to apply to the mainland courts for interim measures before the arbitration award is made. So parties to arbitration which are seated in Hong Kong and administered by a recognized arbitration institution can apply to the mainland Chinese courts for interim measures and those including uh, property preservation, evidence and conduct preservation. And similarly, Hong Kong can apply Uh, similar measures to the mainland arbitration institutions. We have had experience to make application in mainland China and a quite easy standard procedure to be followed. Basically, you apply one of the arbitration institutions 
if you have chosen in the arbitration agreement for a letter of confirmation of the acceptance of the case, then you file the application in mainland uh, Chinese courts. Of course, uh, the standard requirement in China includes the uh, counter security for wrongful attachment. The counter security will depend on the claim amount and the bond. Insurance company can issue bond for the security. And as of 18 November 2020, Hong Kong International Arbitration Center has issued the letters of acceptance in respect of 56 applications, and the total value of the assets have been reserved amount to RMB 14.8 million. And in the mainland Chinese courts, they have received 40 applications. 37 have been granted, with a value of RMB 12.4 billion. So this makes、uh, Hong Kong in a very good position in terms of pre-arbitration award attachment. It's practically good for the Hong Kong、uh, arbitration conducted in Hong Kong. Thank you, team. That is brief. To introduce how it works, it's very interesting how、um, you know this has been introduced, and it seems as though it's proven to be a very successful、uh, and practical measure, as you said, to sort of assist with these sorts of pre-attachment proceedings, which you know are often you know such a practically important step、uh, in, in arbitration. You know, sometimes if you don't get that early pre-attachment, it can Cause great difficulties, or even question whether you should、um, and how you should proceed with your arbitration if you don't get it. So I can see that that's enormously attractive for people, particularly when they're investing or have、uh, investments in China. Yes. In I guess it's in a similar sense, it,、um, or similar in that we're talking about interim measures. I was going to mention a couple of cases that have、um, arisen in India recently. One of which doesn't concern emergency arbitration. It's quite a well-known case、uh, of Amazon.com and investment holding and future retail, and this I think is another decision which you know, similar to the that arrangement that's now been in place in in China and Hong Kong for for a few years. This decision I think is it is it's a sort of pro-arbitration and positive development in that it it gives a lot of comfort I think to parties who have chosen to arbitrate but sometimes need to go to court to get additional remedies. So, in this case, this, this Amazon and Future Retail case,、uh, I can just summarise what happened. The parties had entered into a shareholders agreement, and one of the terms of that agreement was that Amazon had、um, the right to consent to certain transfers of assets by Future Retail to restricted persons. And then, what happened、uh, about a year later after signing the agreement? Future retail then sought to dispose of assets to one of those restricted persons, which Amazon didn't consent to. So Amazon sought to injunct the completion of the sale by way of an emergency arbitration, and the emergency arbitrator found in Amazon's favour, and Amazon then took the emergency arbitration award and sought to enforce it in the High Court of Delhi. Now,、um, at first instance, the court made that order of enforcement, but it was subsequently stayed, and so the matter was quickly escalated up to the Supreme Court. 
And uh, a number of issues came on for the termination uh, and the court made a number of findings. But I think most importantly, um, what it confirmed was that an award rendered by an emergency arbitrator in an Indian seated arbitration is enforceable in the Indian courts. And now that in itself provides, I think, welcome clarity for parties looking for urgent interim protection in those sorts of arbitrations. But it also sits on the back, I think, of a trend of uh, pro-arbitration decisions that we've been seeing coming out of the Indian courts. It's not just 2021. I think you look back over the last few years, you've seen the a growing body of jurisprudence from the Indian courts, which are um, pro-arbitration. And one of the things that certainly struck me from reading the decision was the one of the justifications that the court gave for emergency arbitration was from a policy perspective, effectively saying that these sorts of decisions are enforceable and they, by going through an emergency arbitration route, they reduce the strain on the domestic courts for having to deal with those sorts of applications. And it, it, it did strike me that it's rather similar to comments that were made many years ago in the mid-1990s in relation to Singapore's arbitration laws. And when Singapore was looking and, and took a decision to develop itself as an arbitration hub, hard to believe now, but in that time, the courts were facing serious delays. There were backlogs at civil litigation. And arbitration was um, put forward as one way to help alleviate that sort of pressure on the court. So it's interesting that you know, India, which I think has in the past had a sort of reputation for having you know, this, such a backlog of, of, of commercial cases in its courts, it's interesting to see the Supreme Court um, coming up with a similar sort of reasoning and promoting emergency arbitration. So that's what I was going to say about the Amazon case, that there is a second decision, also part, I think, of a, a growing trend, another Indian court decision, which reveals a positive um, and pro-arbitration position. And it's the case of PASL Wind Solutions and GE Power Conversion. And the interest in this case is to do with Indian parties that contract with each other. What are the circumstances or is it permissible for those to domestic Indian companies to arbitrate in a foreign seat. And there had been some uncertainty as to whether this was permissible or not. But in, in this decision, the Supreme Court upheld that um, domestic Indian companies can arbitrate foreign seats. Now, on the one hand, you may think, well, that's not terribly interesting unless I'm, um, I have a company uh, based in India. But the significance of it is really when you look at international companies who are establishing subsidiaries in India for the purpose of um, transacting business with domestic corporates. And often those are the parties which would then negotiate arbitration in a foreign seat, and it's first year Singapore or London. And so this decision is a very welcome uh, decision. I'm sure it provides comfort and certainty for parties and international investors who are interested in um, investing into India. So I think those are, you know, just a small number of cases or examples of what's happened in 2021. I thought what we could do is is turn our minds to 2022 and what might be in store for us. And I think if I were to say anything, it would be that there's going to be a continuation and I think a likely acceleration of acceptance and supportive measures for arbitration in the sorts of examples that, you know, that you mentioned the NGO and and, and in these cases, I think we're going to see more of that, those sorts of cases being decided. But it's not just judgmental law. 
you know, we've seen, for example, legislative changes as well. So Singapore has recently uh, made some tweaks and changes to its International Arbitration Act, all very much, you know, with the idea of continuing to promote arbitration seated here. And this idea of harnessing law um, to support the development of the seat is something I think that Hong Kong and Singapore have done with great success. And as I understand it, China is now looking to introduce a new arbitration law. And Nian Jin, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about what that law may contain. Yes, the arbitration law of the uh, PRC has remained substantially unchanged since its enactment in 1994. On 30 July 2021 this year, the PRC government has released its proposed revisions to the current arbitration law for public consultation. So the draft proposal, including mainly the following aspect, one is to establish the seat of arbitration standard. So in the past, the nationality of an arbitration award has been determined based on the place where the arbitration institution was located. However, the judicial practice of this approach has caused uncertainty and confusion. For example, a Chinese court has held that an ICC award rendered in Singapore was a Singapore award rather than a French award. In another case, a court in Guangzhou held that an ICC award made in Guangzhou was a Chinese foreign-related award. Therefore, the draft proposal formally recognized the concept of the legal seat of arbitration. So that is one of the developments. Secondly, the draft includes the powers to be given to the arbitration tribunals to order interim measures. In the past, only the courts have such power. Thirdly, it clearly provides the tribunal's competence to decide its own jurisdiction. So the current law only permit the arbitration institution to decide the jurisdiction of the particular institution or the tribunal. Lastly, ad hoc arbitration would be recognized in certain circumstances. In the current law, only the institution arbitrations will be recognized. So those are the developments and uh, for the draft proposal. Hopefully, the legislation will be passed soon. Well, there are some uh, major changes there, I mean, particularly in relation to the last two you mentioned, which I'm sure are going to be you know, very attractive for people when they are um, choosing where to seek arbitrations. And, and I think one of the things that's interesting you know, here in Asia is that we've seen such a growth in the popularity of, of arbitrating in Asia. And to some extent, that's been led you know, by, by Hong Kong, which has you know, traditionally been um, such a popular uh, venue. But then, you know, more recently with Singapore as well. But, but now you're seeing with this sort of change that you mentioned, these sorts of legislative changes, you know, a sort of halo effect of other countries also 
becoming more aware of um, the importance of arbitration and embracing it. Um, I mean, it's not to say, of course, that China hasn't embraced it um, for, for very many years. Of course, it has probably more arbitral institutions and more arbitrations than, than, than anywhere um, in the world, probably. But this sort of change is such a positive um, affirmation and, and sort of confirmation of arbitration that it's, um, it's going to be very interesting to see how that affects people's choice uh, of CTAN and, and, and maybe even rules as well. I mean, I think of, you know, the, the likes of CTAC, you know, um, they will become increasingly an attractive option with this sort of legislative support. So, um, well, that's, that's sort of legislative change. Um, I think the other thing that, that we're likely to see is, is continuing updates of institutional rules. You know, years gone by, institutional rules were changed, you know, fairly, fairly long intervals, but more and more institutions are much more responsive to changes. I think an obvious example has been the pandemic. Uh, and in the last two years, um, there have been a huge number of uh, changes to institutional rules, uh, of all updated their rules to make explicit that, um, for example, virtual hearings um, are supported. And um, one institution I think is worth mentioning, um, partly because uh, and you and I have uh, sat on the, the committee that's looked at this, but it's the, it's the Singapore Chamber of Maritime Arbitration has published its new rules this month, providing a substantial refresh to incorporate a, sort of a range of different features, those to streamline the proceedings, promoting cost-effective measures, such as dispensing with the requirement for hearing, which is in the old rules, increasing the value threshold that's required for, for parties to use the expedited procedure and of course things surrounding virtual hearings. So I think the SCMA refresh is a good example of the sorts of refreshes we've seen elsewhere and I'm sure that in next year we're going to see more of those sorts of refreshes. I mean the SMAC is looking at amending its rules so that'll be one set of rules I'm sure have its uh, new edition being published um, in 2022. I was going to just, again, with my gazing to my crystal ball, uh, was going to say that I think another thing that's going to happen in the next year is an increasing awareness and an incre- increasing engagement of other arbitral institutions in the region. Uh, as I said, I think the SIC, HKIC, CTAC have been fairly dominant in recent years, but now I think we're starting to see other institutions like the AIAC in Malaysia, uh, THAC in Thailand, even Barney in Indonesia, the VIAC in Vietnam. These are all institutions which I think have now tuned into attracting international um, parties um, to arbitrate uh, their institutions. And I think that's something we're going to see, not necessarily just in, in the span of 12 months, but I think this year is going to be part of uh, an accelerated interest and um, in those institutions. And, and so on that subject, I understand that there are a number of institutions in the China Greater Bay Area which have recently signed um, a cooperation agreement to promote arbitration. And I was wondering again, Angie, could you explain a bit more about this and, and how do you think it might affect maritime trade in this area? Yes, I would like to introduce Greater Bay Area concept uh, for those who are not familiar with this. Now, the Great Bay Area in China may play a very important role in the consolidation of arbitration across the Asian Pacific. The Great Bay Area in China comprises two 
Chinese special administrative regions of regions include Hong Kong and Macau, and also nine cities in Guangdong Province. And in this regard, the integration of the Hong Kong legal service into PRC's development course would enhance the consolidation of international legal and distribute services across the Asia Pacific region. So, in Greater Bay Areas, we have a population of eighty-six million, and the GDP for the, the for last year is U.S. dollar one thousand. Sixty-six-eight billion. Hong Kong is the only common law jurisdiction within China that makes it stand out from other arbitration venues in China. The, as you know, most Chinese foreign-related parties they do prefer common law jurisdiction, and Hong Kong is the only place in China with common law jurisdiction. Where the courts have a very pro-arbitration attitude. In terms of the talent, the first exam examination for Hong Kong lawyers to practice law in GBA Great Bay Areas was held this year uh, on thirty-first July twenty twenty to allow Hong Kong lawyers to deal with both civil and commercial legal matters. In the nine mainland Chinese cities, NGBA. Recently, the in Shenzhen, Qianhai areas, most notable arbitration institutions are allowed to operate there to have the arbitration there. So that is、uh, another development. Last month,、uh, a memorandum of understanding. On promoting、uh, maritime arbitration in the Great Bay Area was assigned among five leading arbitration institutions in this area, in this area, including SeaTac Hong Kong, SeaMac Hong Kong, Hong Kong Maritime Arbitration Group, Guangzhou Arbitration Course of International Shipping, and Maritime Arbitration Center of the Shenzhen Court. Of international arbitration, so under this MOU, the parties agree to exchange information on on information relating to ma-、uh, maritime arbitration. So the Great Bay Area will definitely affect or influence,、uh, give impact on the Chinese maritime legal and arbitration services, and more institutions to cooperate or. Collaborate、uh, in promoting arbitration,、uh, and in particular in Shenzhen, as I said, many international arbitration institutions have their offices now. Well, it sounds again like there's a you know huge opportunity, and I don't know how long it will take for you know that sort of project to bear fruit. But you can see that I thought at least you know we'll see the start of that in. In the coming months, we'll have to see maybe in a year's time what progress has been made. So, wrapping up all these points, then it seems to me that、uh, 2022 will be a year of steady consolidation for arbitration across Asia Pacific. I think that's all we have time for today. So it remains for me、um, to thank you, Lenji, for sharing your thoughts today. Thank you, Jim, and thank you for listening to this Asia-focused episode in Reed Smith's International Arbitration Horizon Scanning Series. Thank you. Thank you.
Arbitral Insights is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Allie McArdle. For more information about Reed Smith's global international arbitration practice, email Garaga at jia at reedsmith.com. You can find our podcasts on Spotify, Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, reedsmith.com, and our social media accounts at reedsmithllp on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. Any views, opinions, or comments made by any external guest speaker are not to be attributed to Reed Smith LLP or its individual lawyers. All rights reserved.